Welcome, everybody. It's time once again to grab your board and catch a wave as we ride the sales pipeline with the master of the sales pipeline universe, Matt Hines. How are you doing, Paul? Okay. How do you like that one? Is that a good one? Uh, it's, you know, I, I've kind of become numb to all the various uh, <laughs> titles and superlatives you continue to throw out here. Um, it's fun. It's uh, it's always it's always exciting to see what you're going to come up with. But, uh, I am not worthy, my friend. But uh, thank you very much for the intro. I appreciate everyone joining us today. Another episode of Sales Pipeline Radio. We are here every Thursday at 2.30 Eastern, 11.30 Pacific. If you're joining us live, I appreciate you joining us in the middle of your workday. If you're joining us through the podcast, thanks very much for subscribing. You can catch every episode of Sales Pipeline Radio at Google Play and the iTunes Store, and you can catch all past episodes as well at salespipelineradio.com. Every week we are featuring some of the best and brightest minds, interviews, discussions, updates, new data and trends in B2B sales and marketing. We cover the entire funnel, not just the top or the bottom but everything that's working to help companies build sustainable, repeatable pipelines. Very excited today to have with us John Hall. He's the co-founder and CEO of Influence and Company, and his business helps is really specializes in creating content that helps fuel companies' content marketing efforts, helping their employees become influencers in the industry, a very hot topic in a lot of circles in B2B marketing. So excited to have John. Thanks very much for joining us. Thanks for having me. I appreciate you joining us, and I know that a lot of marketers and a lot of even salespeople are thinking about the idea of influence, what influence means. What is your definition of influence in a B2B context, in a sales pipeline context? What does it mean, and why is it important? It's pretty simple. You know, if you can engage people in a way that results in a behavior that results in either a sale or something positive, whether it's brand advocacy, a lead, a referral. That's a great way to have influence from this standpoint. And for the purposes of this call and a lot of the times I'm talking to salespeople, it's about how you're engaging with different audiences to get them to change a behavior that's positive in your direction, resulting in a sale, brand advocacy, partner referral, or something also beneficial. Can you help us break that down a little bit? Because I think a lot of people, when they think about influence, they think about it one of two ways. Either sort of, and I sometimes I think about this in terms of outbound and inbound influence. You know, like some, you know, in a lot of cases, you're trying to engage with people that already have influence uh, to to sort of share the message about your brand, your story. In other cases, you're trying to create influence. You're trying to become an influencer that can sort of join those ranks and gain sort of notoriety for your organization. How do you think about that? Is that an appropriate way to think about the differences, or is there a different way you guys think about that? From a sales standpoint, pretty simple is that if you can get someone to trust you and if you can stay top of mind so that when they're in a moment to purchase or to have one of those moments that I talked about being beneficial, then that is the, the purpose of, of building influence. And so there's a variety of ways to build trust. And I'm not saying you're the person they call when they're in jail, trust. I'm saying that there's different ways to have, I call them trust touch points, points of which you engage with them, for example, um, a lot of times in sales, it's helping them out in some way. If you got them an article that was valuable to them that addressed a pain point, so it could be coming from you or it was something you curated, ultimately it was something valuable to them. Wow, that was nice or that was really helpful towards me. And it has a small little touch point that creates a moment of trust. Over time, the more you have those, the more that you gain attention. Diving in deep to all the things that are those trust touch points, making sure that you're doing them consistently as you can, and then most of the time those will result in some sort of a good benefit for you. Talking today to John Hall, who's the CEO and co-founder of Influence and Company. You can check them out 
influenceandco.com. And I think a lot of organizations, as they warm up to the idea of influencer marketing, I mean, they're thinking about that as sort of influencer marketing and content marketing together. Uh, they're also sort of in many cases curious, like, who owns this? You know, marketing should, in many cases, owns it. I don't see a lot of sales organizations owning it, but who in the organization should own it? It's getting assigned. In many cases, I see to PR departments have had media relations and analyst relations. Can you talk a little bit about how PR and influencer marketing work together? And I think especially in your context where you guys are doing a lot of guest contributed content, you yourselves are a contributor to Inc. Magazine, a columnist at Forbes. I think the lines are blurring a little bit. How should people be thinking about that and how do they operationalize that? They've kind of all merged together, to be honest. Before you had PR marketing, recruiting, sales, all very separate. But what happened is that over the last 10, 15 years, sales has changed. Like I grew up on door-to-door sales. Now it's changed to that what we're a lot of times offering is being focused on the audience or the consumer or the potential sale and how we can help them and get them good information, help them out in a certain way. And that's what changed this kind of trend of sales is standalone because now marketing is creating content and PR is creating content that's valuable and can be used in other parts of the business. And that's why PR and marketing have merged for a lot of companies. The CMO oversees both. And then that's something also that a lot of times the CMO uh, oversees sales uh, or at least has a very good connection with that head of sales. you got to look at it as that, okay, what are we doing from the sales side of things? What are we doing to listen to con- customers? And what I call content triggering is when there's a moment where a salesperson listens to a customer and realizes, wow, there's an aha moment. Something I said to them was super engaging and helped with the sale. Or there's this moment where they have a sales, it's not hidden very well. And so they have to communicate that back department that's leading that. A lot of times right now it's still marketing, but it's starting to merge into like a head of strategy will be dictating that. But it's important to have those content triggers because then that's who, let's say it's the marketing team, they can fuel your efforts by creating content based on those aha moments or content triggers that you can use directly, but then also they can feed the industry with that content so that those barriers happen less and less and there's content support when you're selling to people. And the short answer to that is that most of the time these kind of areas of marketing and PR are kind of combining in, in a way and merging. And, you know, there's a central content creation they're creating a team that's creating the content that both PR, marketing, they're using, and there's an overall strategy uh, between when we get a PR mention, this is what it's important to have in there. When we're doing byline pieces, this is what we need to get in there so that it's useful for not just brand awareness, but also our sales and marketing team. So how do you engage existing outside influencers as part of this as well? I mean, in every industry, there's a handful of people that already have influence. I mean, you know, I think if we were having this conversation, you know, 15 years ago, we'd be talking about a, a smaller set of more traditional publications, more traditional journalists and analysts that you really sort of had to engage. There's a long tail now of individuals that have influence, people that started a blog that became influential, people that work at a company in a function and became influential amongst their peers. What are the best practices for companies that want to leverage that sort of that new PR opportunity? You know, those influencers that have an audience that some cases aren't held to the same sort of formal rigors of PR and media relations. What are the steps companies can take to begin to build influence among those influencers? Well, the first step is to actually build your own influence document and actually how you're going to build internal influence. A lot of times people look at influencer marketing as only external. I don't. I look at influencer marketing as something that is internal and external because 
you want to build your own influence at the same time. You want to build that, and you also want to build external influence, people that are influencers not within your organization. But it's important that you're looking initially out the gate is how are we building up our key employees, our CEO, our VP of sales, our VP of tech as influencers, because it will make your life so much easier to to integrate or to work with other uh, influencers in the industry because you have something that they want. The one thing that influencers love more than money is more influence. So if what I've realized with our company is that once we've actually built a following that people pay attention to us and we have a certain influence, there's a lot of people that have influence that want to do stuff with us. They want to do cross-marketing. They want to do webinars with us. They want to do things that put our kind of influence together so that we can feed off each other. So that's the first part is that you've got to be very clear that when, when we're doing influence and marketing strategy, it's vital that you're building your own influence first. It makes your life a lot easier down the road. One of the examples that I give is that with speaking, there's a lot of companies that do sponsored speaking a lot where we don't do any of it right now because a lot of times conferences are wanting us at their event. At their event. Now, that's because we've spent time building up keynotes throughout our company that we get asked to do that. But there's another company that I just talked to where they're paying for every time they're doing a keynote. And that's why it's so important to earn it first and to build it up from within. Now, to do that, it's making sure that you're committed to it. You're investing in employees, not just one, but actually several employees that you can have critical mass in case one leaves, but then also that speak to different audiences. It's a lot more powerful when you have three that have very specific audiences they're going after than one that has like a general audience. You have to look and say, who are we investing within this organization to have influence? And then how are we, how are we investing in them? Are we doing a byline campaign with PR mentions, getting them on lists? Are we investing in their social account? What are we doing to get them speaking gigs? There's all these things that happen. Um, it could be we're investing in this person to have a book about this topic. But, but what ends up happening when you do that, there is this spread effect. Because once you do some of these things, those don't go away. A book doesn't go away. When you get PR mentions, you can leverage them in sales for a year or so afterwards, even longer sometimes. So it's important that you commit to that and then look at how you're leveraging that across the company, not just in their personal brand. Talking to John Hall today, the CEO and founder of Influencer Company. We're going to take a quick break, pay some bills. We'll be right back, talk a lot more about influencer. I like the idea we're thinking about the term inbound, outbound, internal, and external influence. Lots of opportunity for companies here. We're going to try to break it down a little further, help you understand the next steps to how to do this for your own organization. We'll be right back. Sales Pipeline Radio. In a world where the speed of innovation and change in B2B marketing has never been greater, the only thing bigger is the need for clarity, for a blueprint, for a guide, to what's really working and how to apply it specifically to increase sales pipeline growth, velocity, and conversion. That's what you'll find in the Modern Marketer's Field Guide. Download it free at HeinzMarketing.com. All right, let's get started again with that influencer himself, Matt Hines. Thanks very much, Paul. We are uh, continuing to discuss influencer marketing with John Hall, who is the founder and president and CEO of Influence & Co. You can check them out at influenceandco.com. And we were talking before the break about uh, helping your internal employees become influencers. And my follow-up question to you, John, is how do you decide who should be one of those influencers? I assume that there is some science in terms of selecting people that are going to be most likely a successful influencer. Is it based on personality? Is it based on insight? Like what are some of the primary factors that make someone more likely to be successful as an influencer within your company and for your brand? 
great question. And there's multiple things that we look at. We look at, one, what's going to benefit the company the most from the standpoint of external people and the stakeholders. Is it going to be valuable for the CEO position? Because that's a lot of times they're looked at as the, the top leader of the company. Uh, a lot of times that is the person, and it's pretty obvious they are. However, the problem is there's other factors that prevent you from doing that, where I'll give you an example. There's a CEO of a a multi-billion dollar company that I know that would be terrible because it's impossible for him to get him to respond to anything. So you can't have an effective thought leadership influencer strategy from within when you have someone who's just not going to be effective to work with. And it also sets a terrible example for the other people that follow because ultimately with most companies, you want to build off as you grow that thought leadership across the company, you want to build off of it. And if you start with two people that aren't going to contribute and have the time to, you know, be a part of that, then they're not going to be great for it. And then that's when you look at other options. First, obviously, the benefit to the the company externally. Two, who's going to cooperate and actually be a good influencer and thought leader within the organization that will make some time and also intelligent to differentiate the content as well. And then you look at what are important strategies for the company. For example, we worked with Dell for one campaign where we were focusing on their entrepreneur division because that's what Michael's strategic focus was. was. And so we worked with that entrepreneurial group there because it made sense that that was a strategic focus to get content from them that was influencing that industry and targeting entrepreneurs. So it, it made sense that it wasn't coming from somebody like a Michael or you know, the main part of the company was this specific area. And so there's a variety of things that factor in there. Also, you know, what the employee is this person going to be staying around? Does everything point to that? You know, are we set up well where they will stick, stick around and not leave after, you know, a couple months? And so there's a variety of those things that we look at. Those are probably like four or five main ones. But there's probably, I would say, five to ten other ones that are minor. But you look at that and you say, okay, this makes sense. Or, for example, budget could also be an issue. We don't have any budget, so we have to do one or two. So you look at all those factors, and then you map it out and say, okay, here's where we're starting, here's where we can grow, here's what measurements are for that, and then you scale it based on that. And some companies might start off with one or two that end up doing seven or eight after things get really rolling after a year or two. You brought up uh, one of the criteria of uh, you know trying to identify influence inside the organization as someone that's going to have some longevity. That's a hard thing to control. So mm-hmm. how do you figure out the trade-off between having someone that is predisposed to be engaging, to become an influencer? Do you put golden handcuffs on those individuals, or do you simply say, okay, we're going to leverage them as long as they're here and benefit from that even if they end up leaving at some point? I'm not terribly scared of employees leaving. I think that I, I think it's Branson's quote that's best in people so that they can leave and treat them well enough so they don't want to or something. I don't know. I could butcher it, but that's how I feel about things. And <laughs> we've invested in some of the VP's, uh, you know, brands and we've had uh, one or two leads. As crazy as it has been really beneficial because we've built up their influence and they've gone to another company. You know, obviously we have non-competes and things like that, but they've been huge advocates for us. And it's been as crazy as it is. It's worked out well in our case. I'm not saying that every company, somebody leaves and they have influence and it, like, benefits them. That doesn't always happen. I would say that there's a couple things that you can look at. You know, obviously there's things you can put in compensation that motivates them to stay. It can be how you present them with it is that, hey, we're going to invest in your brand here. So a part of that is that, you know, you're going you're to stick around. We have this kind of a expectation that invests in you, and this is kind of what, what we're agreeing to. And there's different things you can do to say, like, okay, well, we're going to be, you know, supporting you, but this, this also goes away if you leave. You know, and so there's a variety of things you can do 
I mean, what I've found out, like, we invest in the people that there's a certain level of trust with, and we've been lucky thus far where we haven't had a lot of turnover with those people. A lot of other companies, if you can't somewhat trust the employees that you're going to be investing a significant amount of resources into, then it, it probably won't end up being worth the investment. So how do you get started with this? I mean, what are, what are the components if you were to give someone sort of a checklist? You know, whether or not, you know, they're committed to being, you know, the long-term forever influencer, but the things you need to have, the building blocks, the foundation, is it content? Is it creating content? Is it curating content? Is it having, setting up your social feeds? Is it engaging with other other influencers? What are some of the building blocks? The people listening to this, that either want to be influencers or want to start to enable the potential influencers in their, influencers in their organization. What are the few things they should be doing uh, to get started? Oh, yeah, absolutely. And, and here's some inspiration here. And it was like six years ago before we started this company, I didn't even have a LinkedIn profile, I don't think. If I did, it probably didn't have a picture, and it was crappy, didn't have any presence. When I look at where I was to where I am today, now I'm not also the most well-known person in the world either, but at the same time is that the influence that we've built in five years, just me, it's pretty significant that's resulted in opportunity for myself and the company. Now, what I did was not rocket science. It's as simple as the first thing is documenting and saying, here is my documented like strategy for thought leadership, how we're going to build influence. It's not going to happen in two to three months. It's not going to happen just like that. We're going to keep moving towards it. We're going to start off. The, the most common thing is to obviously document. Here are the things that can be beneficial to building up influence and thought leadership. There's you know bylines, op-ed. There's PR mentions. There's getting on lists of your own media so, like, your blog, building up, like, what you're doing here with, you know, an audience that pays attention to you as a trusted source for information. There's all these things that factor in, and there's there's content that you can look at that I've written and different things out there that can help you kind of form um, what that looks like. And then it's just every, you know, month or two addressing that. Did we move towards where we, we were able to create some bylines here, for example? Well, bylines, like, did you get informed? No, it didn't. You're not, you're not necessarily just going to all of a sudden get in, like, every dream publication you want or the Times. you got to look and say, okay, well, it might be this starting off with this blog or starting off with this smaller site. My first site that I got in was youngentrepreneur.com. It was, you know, ran by the Torn Brothers, who are good friends of mine now. And I remember my mom actually putting that up on the refrigerator, which is hilarious that at this age I'm 33 and my mom is doing that. But it was not a Times or it's a good site, but it was very limited to, to young entrepreneurs at the time. And it's, but it did, it did great things, honestly, for me. There's people who saw it. My network started seeing me contribute, and it was a start. And I kept going and leveraging things and leveraging things where then we added kind of press mentions, started building social channels as a part of the map that we had created. But always the consistent content coming from me has been consistent from the start because you want to be that trusted source of information that people go to. So no matter what, the document strategy has to be core at the beginning. You have to start getting content coming from you. And then a lot of these other things like social for aggregation and some original content, that makes sense. And PR mentions getting talked about as an expert and a leader in different space. There's, or even at this point, having a book. You know, that's kind of this, in year four or five, that's what we knew that we would probably do around this time. And so that's how it all plays into each other. And over time, as you take those steps, it all starts off with those couple things, and it grows and grows and grows. But you have to be dedicated and committed to keep moving forward and not have this expectation that overnight you're going to be keynoting the largest events in the world. 
And I think it's that commitment and that patience that sometimes separates those that are successful from those that give up on this. And this is not like a pay-per-click campaign that you can just turn on and expect to see, you know, clicks and results immediately. This takes time. In the couple minutes we have left here to finish up with John Hall, who's the CEO, founder of Influencing Company. What's the recommendations you give people in terms of how long you should expect it take to have to get start to see an ROI from influence marketing? It just depends on your goals and which ones you're tackling. So, for example, if you're like, hey, we want a bunch of leads to happen that result in sales within you know a month or two, that's harder. I mean, right now our inbound is a huge part of our business. It probably took a year or two to actually be a major part. Did we see some success you know early on in the first six months to a year? Yes, but it wasn't anything that was going to dramatically change our business. Now it does with the inbound leads that, w- that we get. So like on sales inbound, you've got to be committed to it. Trust me, there's other ways of sales that you can do to get more sales in short term than what I'm talking about here. In the long term, it's by far one of the best and most scalable, so that's why it's important to do a commitment. In the first six months to a year, you're not going to see anything that's going to change your life, in my opinion. Yes, there are some people that have early success, but I just want to set expectations. But then also, it's how you leverage it. So, for example, if we have a client that is like, yes, that is our goal, but clients that I love is the Hawk Media, is that Eric, their CEO, and Tony, their president, they leverage the content in so many different ways. They in their sales process. They use it for recruiting. They add it to their newsletter. They share it on social. They actually really, really embrace when they just started initially out the gate, creating content, getting the, the you know PR mentions and these things, and that's why they they've had a lot of success earlier. So that's an example of one where it's like, okay, well that happened sooner. But then there's other goals that like we had one client say, hey, we're specifically only using this. We already know our 200 clients. And we don't even have more than 200 clients, but we need to nurture them and we're going to use this in the sales pipeline. They immediately out the gate started using that content in their sales pipeline, you know, as a part of the process and their conversions went up. I think it was like in the first, in that six month span, they went up 50%, which is pretty high. That's a very high number. So the bad expectations, but 50% of conversion increase from adding this thought leadership content to the sales pipeline. So yeah. that was a little different where it's like, hey, that's not lead generation. That's helping convert with sales. So it depends on kind of what your goals are, but those are some examples of kind of expectations to have. Absolutely. Awesome. Well, I want to thank our guest, John Hall, from Influence and Company. You can learn more about them at influenceandco.com. We're going to have to jump and let some other let some other companies and other, other, uh, other hosts have their show here, Paul. But thanks very much for joining us on Sales Pipeline Radio. If you want to hear more uh, and l- share this uh, conversation about influence marketing with others on your team, you definitely go to salespipelineradio.com, find that replay, and also obviously join us on the podcast at the Google Play and iTunes Store. Thanks again for joining us today. We'll see you next week. For my producer, Paul, this is... This is Matt Hines. We'll see you next week. Sales Pipeline Radio. You've been listening to Sales Pipeline Radio, all things Sales Pipeline, with your host, Matt Hines, right here in the funnel, radio channel for network listeners like you.